Well, before you are seated, would you please high-five three people and, and let them know I'm glad to share your presence this morning. All right. During this campaign, originally Pastor Gregory and I had planned on sharing the pulpit together, but we've had some some challenging after the flesh times over since last Thursday. So I do covet your prayers during this season as we just deal with some things that's going on. So he's been zapped. He's been ministering to people since last Thursday, and it's, it's been an enduring time. So uh, we appreciate your prayers and your, just your thoughts during this time. Um, we've been going through, and let me say this. I, was, I failed to do it at the first service, but I'm going to make sure I do it at this service. We were honored last week because it was Clergy Appreciation Sunday, and I just want to say thank you to the most amazing staff, sisters and brothers, partners, cohorts in the work of uh, the ministry. Thank you so very much, and I want to say thank you to our Forever Young team. We love and appreciate the mamas and the daddies, so thank you again. We love you more, and to all of those that have given gifts, uh, said thank you, uh, expressed appreciation. Thank you. We love you. And it is an extreme honor to serve. All righty. So we've been going through this 40-day campaign. We've already talked about connecting to God. We've talked about connecting to family. In that connecting to family, we talked about mamas, daddies, husbands, and wives. But let me tell you something. Do not... Do not be dismayed. Do not forget that a very, very significant and important part of the family that we want to connect to, and it's very, very, in most cases, most important, you want to connect to the family of Christ that you're a part of. Your church family, your body of believers family is vital to your growth, your, your fellowship, who you fellowship is vital to your growth and your maturity in the things of God. So we want to, I want to encourage you to, if you haven't already been, gotten involved, get involved with small groups. I tell you, they are doing some amazing things. We've gotten testimonies of small groups going out and mentoring homeless teenagers. We've gotten testimonies of uh, small groups going out and ministering to the elderly. We've gotten small groups that's getting, trying to get into prisons and, and minister to the prisoners. We've gotten small groups that have networked and there's been miracles. I mean, there's been miracles. People who needed jobs have found jobs. People who needed some directions found direction. So if you don't want to get, if you haven't gotten involved with a small group, I encourage you to get involved. When you have a nucleus of believers that's here, that's there genuinely to grow, to assist in growing up together, to, to mature in the things of God, and are looking out for you, I'm telling you, that's a blessing and a source of peace all by itself. Amen. So now we're talking about connecting to purpose, which is one of my passions. One thing I can say about your pastors is that we know we are passionate. We are, I mean, committed to walking people towards victory. That's something we, lo I, we love doing. Now, let me speak for me. I have loved, enjoyed, and just been committed to seeing people win all my life without even knowing it. All my life without even knowing it. And, and, and so the, the, the things that I would excel in at whatever job I was at was helping people. Amen. That was always it. But I learned later on that that was part of my purpose. All right. So, one, uh, so with that being said, you know, 
Romans chapter 8 talks about how there are many members of one body, and every member has a job and a, posi- and a position to take in that body. And I think one of the most tragic things in the body of Christ is that we have so many believers, so many people that desire to do good, desire to make an impact, desire to, to uh, create change, but they are misplaced in the body. We have so many people that's supposed to be the hand, but they're the legs. They're supposed to be the ear, but they're the, 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 they're the fingertips. They, they, you know, so they're one of the most frustrating things, I think this is why people get frustrated, especially in the body of Christ, is because they have not identified and walked in their purpose. And although I cannot exhaust everything that you need to do to discuss your purpose, I'm going to give you some keys and I'm going to give you some points that you probably, that you need to go home, meditate, search out, and then I'm going to give you some tools by which you can Start plugging yourself in so you can discover that purpose if you haven't already and start walking in it and living a fulfilled life. Amen? Amen. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. In verse 23, it says, And whatsoever you do, Do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that the Lord, knowing that of the Lord, you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. That's a lot. This is the next segment of addressing that you connecting to purpose which is part of the vision of Linked Up Church, connecting people to their purpose. And in Colossians chapter 3, he says, and whatsoever you do, let's stop there, because we're going to talk about these do-dos. These (laughs) two-dos. Y'all are like, ooh, what's she talking about? And whatsoever you do, Whatever it is, in anything that you do, that word, that first word, do, because even though they look the same in our English language, there are two specifically different words in the Greek. And the first word, do, there is pronounced poieo. Poieo, poieo, poieo. I'm trying to make a song out of it because it took me a minute to get it right. I pronounced it all wrong first service. But, um... Colossians chapter 3, that first word, poieo, basically means ordain, to perform, to be content, to commit to, to continue in, journeying, purpose, a regular practice or performance to perform repeatedly, to be accomplished in, to keep. So in other words, this first word, in any, whatever, whatsoever you do, if you do it naturally, you continue in, you find yourself there, you keep doing it, it's repeated, it's a natural f- part of your practice. That's what he's saying. This is what you do naturally. This is what you end up, you you keep going back to the same area. This is what you do continually. And then the second word, do, do it. Second word, do, that word is, is it up there? There it is. That's the word right there. (laughs) Er, yeah. Ergazomahi, ergazomi, E R G A Z O M A I is how it's spelt, and that's how it's pronounced. 
But that word there, which is the second word, do, completely different word. But now he says do as in perform as a task, take up as an occupation, be engaged in it, use it as a trade, work at it, labor in it. So in other words, whatever you do naturally, however you're wired, wherever you find yourself performing, whatever way in which you are content, what you naturally do all the time, what you find yourself repeating in Now he's saying, make it an occupation, make it a task, make it a part of your labor, make it a calling. So whatever you naturally do, whatever you find yourself committed to, uh, labor in it, perform it as a task repeatedly. And he says, do it as unto the Lord. When we take our service, whether we are at work or here at church, volunteering in the street, doing small groups on dream team, whatever we're doing, when we do it as recognizing that we're doing unto the Lord, we sanctify that service. We set it apart. So it's, not, no, it's no longer, it's so much more valuable than $25 an hour. When we sanctify our service, when we sanctify our task, when we sanctify our commitment and our calling, we present it back unto the Lord. The Lord cannot help but to recognize it. And then he says, I'm going to take you from being a, I'm recognizing you not as being a hireling, but as being a servant. And in recognizing you as being a servant, as unto me, you are now an heir. And every heir has an inheritance. So therefore, you do get a reward. So he says here, do it as unto the Lord and not unto men. All day, every day, even the bestest, I said it, the bestest of bosses will disappoint. And our best intention, my husband and I, we've been in management, supervisor, supervision, leadership, boss positions for quite some time. And in our best intentions, some decisions you just have to make that will disappoint. But when you do it as unto the Lord, the disappointment is subtle. But when you do it as unto man, you always have frustrations, bitterness, offense, and then you start checking out and just start making statements like, this is above my pay grade. But when we do it as unto the Lord, there's a certain type of peace that comes with every tumultuous situation. Amen. Now, then verse 24, just like I said, he takes that service, he takes this act of worship now, and he now says there is a response that I am obligated to. When God says his eyes is over the righteous, his ears is over to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, who is he that will harm you if you be doers of that which is good? He means it. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles now to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, now we're getting into the crux of what this thing called connecting to purpose is all about. When we get and grasp this one thing, it catapults us to, I'm hoping to search out, seek out even more and be more and more committed in our daily regime to the purpose or the, call, the, the, the destiny that God has placed in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship. Okay, I did it again. You all read it with me. Let's get engaged. Let's read along. Except where it says we, I want you to replace it with I. You get it? 
where it says we replace it with I and please conjugate the proper na- uh, verb that goes with it. <laughs> One, two, three, read. For I am his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that I should walk in them. God specifically intrinsically, intentionally, on purpose, with a goal in mind, created you. He did. And when he created you, he called you his portrait, his workmanship, his Picasso, his Van Gogh, his whatever, the, his Bach. You are his original piece. I don't care if there are five of y'all that look alike and call yourselves born on the very same day. With Sintuplis, you all are designed masterfully by your God, creator. And because of that, he has a unique design for each and every one of you. The word workmanship there, check this out. It's the Greek word that's pronounced poiema, poiema, it's pronounced with the P-O-A, P-O-Y-A-Y-M-A-H, poiema. And it comes from that same Greek word that we talked about earlier when he said whatever you do naturally, whatever, is committed, whatever you're committed to, whatever task you go back to, whatever you perform repeatedly, remember the first do of the doo-doos? Here, the root word is that same word, except it means here a product that, fab- that is a fabric, a thing that is made. So the same intensity and the same intentions by which you function, God said, I created you like that. I made you like that. I made you like in pretty colors and designs. I made you like in numbers and and solving problems. I made you curious about what makes people tick. I made you like uh, uh, putting together uh, solutions. I made you an engineering mindset. I made you loving to be a service customer, uh, customer service rep. I made you like talking a lot. You might talk too much, but that's where you need to grow. God says, I made you that way. You're my workmanship. You are my creation. And Jesus, it says, created in Christ Jesus. So Jesus came to the earth so that you can walk and be fulfilled in that purpose, in that workmanship. You can be free to serve God and not fall under the oppression of man. And he says here, unto what? Everybody stand up, stand up. Stand up, stand up, stand up. Everybody, stand up, stand up. If you can stand, stand up. Shake yourself, shake yourself. Shake. Now sit back down. You were created in Christ Jesus unto what? That's better. Unto what? Unto any works? Unto high paying works? Into whatever's available works, unto good works. He created you to be impactful, basically. When he says unto good works, his purpose and his calling and his design for your life. He's created you to be productive, profitable, impactful, intentional. He created you to make some noise. He created you so that they will know your name. Not for your name's sake, but for whose name's sake? His name's sake. 
So with that being said, you got to understand this. God made you on purpose with a purpose. You are no one's mistake. You are no one's uh-oh. You are no one's, no one's side byproduct. You are no one's issues. You are no one's bad memory. You are no one's one night stand. However you got here, the circumstances might have been a wreck, but the fact that you are here says that God's hand is on your life for a purpose and a season such as this. So let go of whatever they said you were and receive and walk in whatever God says you are. Now, God is not keeping his purpose for your life from you. What a lot of times people do is they see what's around them and try to identify with something that's not for them. And we, a lot of times we can work real hard to try to become what we like instead of what we are. And it requires us to humble ourselves and to be at this place where we receive ourselves as ourselves because that's what God made us to be. Now, there are two cars I really like. Two cars. You all know I like cars. I like speed. (laughs) One car is the 911 Porsche Carrera convertible. I want the full fin. I want want both exhaust pipes in the back. I want the full package. Porsche 911 Carrera. And then they just came out with this new cobalt gray. Oh! (laughs) Detail that thing with some chrome. Yes, Lord. Have them glass packs out the back so when you find... Yeah. That Porsche 911 career, if you do it right, you got to open it up. You cannot drive around 55 miles per hour (laughs) all day for years and years because, you know, that's a classic. And you can't do carpool in a Porsche 911 career. (laughs) In fact, it's only made for two people. You, 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 it hugs you so you can't even put anybody in your lap. It's not made for that. It's only like six inches, seven, eight inches off the ground. So you put too much weight in there, you, you're tearing up the undercarriage. But I like that car. But then there's a Fisker's Karma. I like that Fisker's Karma. The Porsche runs on high-quality fuel. The Fisker's Karma, you got to plug that thing up. Some of you are like Fisker's Karma. Fancy over here, no. It's like a four-door Corvette. That thing is bad. But it's made for, it's a sedan. And it's a little higher off the ground. But it's not made to go 180. It's not. It might say it on the dash, but it's not made to go 180 because you will run out your battery real fast. Two very nice cars, but the makers of those cars created for a purpose and a reason. That Porsche 911 career, you got to take it out, and you got to throw that thing in the high gear, and you got to let, let it open up. If you don't, that thing will lock up on you after a while. It'll lock up on you. 
Ferraris, I've seen Ferraris lock up on you for not opening that thing up and driving it. It's made to be dogged. It's made to drag that thing out in second gear, swoop it down into third. Oh my gosh, you might even skip fourth, throw it into fifth. If you threw it right. But that Fiskars is all automatic. Switch it onto one little gear and you're going to go. I can't pick up my kids and take them to baseball games in the Porsche Carrera. But I can do it over here in this Fiskars Karma. If I don't treat each vehicle the way it was made, they will both wear out, lock down, and break on you. As people, as God's creation, his workmanship, his Picasso, his Bach, his Van Gogh, he designed you for a reason. But if you are not operating in your purpose, you're frustrated, you're angered, you're bitter, you're offended. It's the man can't stand this person. Basically, you've heard this before, family. If you don't know the purpose of a thing, abuse is inevitable. If you don't know the purpose of a thing, if you don't know your purpose, abuse is inevitable. A lot of people got high blood pressure, not because of what's going on at home, but because they can't stay in their job. But then sometimes they love what they do, but the people they do it with just work them. But when you're a pastor, someone's clapped. <laughs> say that, Pastor Trish, say it. I could try all day long to get that soprano note that Carrie get. I can't do it. I could try all day long to try to get that low note that Adele gets. I can't do it. I ain't made for that. So walking in your purpose is not only a matter of your fulfillment, but it's a matter of God being glorified in your life. He did not make you to be frustrated, abused, abandoned, offended, and bitter. He made you, he said, my, my joy, my peace, I give unto you. But not as the world give it, but as I give it. Amen. Now, three keys to walking in your purpose. Three keys to walking in your purpose. Now, there's a lot to be said about purpose, destiny, calling, a lot. There's no way that we can exhaust this in a, in a 70 to 90 minute service. So I encourage you to get involved with our growth track. I encourage you to take the classes. They're there for your growth. First Sunday, connecting to God, learning more about your salvation and what that entails. Second Sunday, connecting to family, understanding your role in your personal family, but your role in the body of Christ. Third Sunday is when we talk about connecting to purpose. We give you actual tests and actual assessments whereby you can learn how you're wired. What is my personality type? What motivates me? And when you learn that, now you can gear yourself and find, find yourself into this place where you can be fulfilled because you're operating in your purpose. Amen? Purpose does not mean or always equal profit. We'll talk more about that later. Three keys to walking in your purpose. Number one, God made you with personality. God made you with personality. Some of y'all have too much personality. 
Some of us have not enough personality, but however the personality is, he made you like that. And guess what? You are necessary to your environment. You are necessary to your environment. No, and under, and Psalms 139, stanza 13. Psalms 139, stanza 13 and 14, actually, I'm going to read from there. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. He says, for I am fearfully or superiorly made. That's what that word means, fearfully. I am made superiorly. I am made supremely. I am made specifically and wonderfully. I am made, wonderfully there is the word distinctly. I am made uniquely. So therefore he's saying, I am made superiorly. I am the, I, I, God made me so that I can be the best me there is. And he did it distinctly. There is no one else that can offer what I can offer. There should be a certain confidence, a certain swag about you when you show up. Because you know that there's something you need. I got it. Let's get to it. Not to the point of arrogance. Let me say that. <laughs> one monkey don't stop, no show. But there should be a certain confidence in your, your trust in God's ability in you and your trust in your ability in God that makes you necessary. You know you are necessary in this earth. When, when David says here that you have possessed my reins, in other words, you've steered me to this very place. You have ordered my step to this time. And you've covered me in my mother's womb. In other words, you knew me and you had this design for me. You had this map made out for me while I was yet in my mother's womb. He ordained you to, to this day, this place, before you were even a twinkle in your mama's eye. Understand that your personality contains natural ability, strengths, attitudes. We are a product of our environment. We are a product of our history. We are also a product of our life's experiences. And then your personality can be genetic, too. You know, uh, we have a best friend, Bishop George Davis, who pastors a church, Impact Church in Jacksonville. Well, actually, he has a bunch of churches up and down the East Coast. Best friends. And um, they're staying with us for a season. And his father came in town. And, uh, <laughs> and if you know the story, some of you who follow social media probably know the story, but Bishop George Davis grew up, and for all 19, 20 years of our friendship, he would always tease and say, I, been, I, I believe I was adopted because I'm not, nothing like my family folk. And he's very different from the rest of his family. Loves his parents, loves his siblings, but he is very different. And we would tease about that all the time, where something happened in his life would put him on his trail to find out that who he thought was his father was not his father. And two years ago, he met his real father. And so he's got, I mean, and a wonderful testimony. Don't have time to go into it, but a wonderful testimony to find out who his father was. They have a great relationship, an awesome relationship. And guess what? He, the, uh, the father flew in town, his father and his sister, that we also met two years ago, flew in town, and they were at our house. 
this past, this weekend, this weekend, like yesterday, they just left. And um, I'm sitting there looking at Pops, and mind you, they have not known each other for 43, 44 years of Bishop Davis's life. Never saw each other, didn't know each other. Neither of the two knew that the other one existed. But I'm looking at him. He talks just like Bishop Davis. Bishop Davis talks with his hands. He moves his hands the exact same way. His gestures are the exact same gestures. When they walk, they walk the exact same way. They have the same type of uh, humorous personality. And I'm like, that's weird. (laughs) So some parts of your personality are genetic. So don't talk about mama and daddy. Because there's a little bit in them in you. So understand that God gave you your personality. And because the personality evolves through so many experiences in life and so many things that aren't necessarily God, that's why his, his son came here so that we can continue to grow and sculpt our personality to be more pleasing towards God. Amen. Amen. Number two, God gives you spiritual gifts. God gives you spiritual gifts. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Understand that your most significant gift that God has given you is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, it says there that he searches all truth. He knows all things and he can show you things to come. It says that he directs our steps and he orders our path. So you have to be open to the Holy Spirit when he tells you, just be quiet, sweetie. Just be... There are bumpers in life that the Holy Spirit has installed so that you just can't go a certain direction. And instead of trying to tear the bumpers out, we just need to be sensitive to him as he leads us and directs us because he's growing us and he's sculpting us to fulfill what? God's purpose for our lives, which is inescapable. And then Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 8, we know here that there, herein we talk about there are specific spiritual gifts as in the power gifts, but those spiritual gifts can, are translated into being what we call motivational gifts. There are ways in which you are wired that's just functional to you. you I've, say, I, I've just said it. I, I keep saying it. I love helping people. I love information. I love seeing people win. I, I, love, I mean, I eat it. If you win, I won. If you lost, I personalize that thing. I'm like, okay, we got to get this thing together. What's wrong? I love it. I'm, I'm one of those people. I'll roll dog with you all the way to this finish line. And in those motivational gifts that they're talking about in Romans chapter 8, one of them is the teacher motive gift. And that's me. I'm the teacher motive gift. I'm very black and white in a lot of areas, but I'm going to take information. I'm going to download it to you and hope you get it and, 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 and wire it and function it to it. I mean, when, when I read and understood what the teacher motive gift was, I was like, oh, I feel so understood. <gasps> I'm not just dumping all this help and assistance and service to these people. I, 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 that's how I am, and, and that's how I'm supposed to be. What they do is on them, but I'm operating in my purpose. I'm so fulfilled. (laughs) So when you discover what motivates you, 
What makes you go? What's your passion? What makes you tick? It doesn't matter what job you have because you will find your purpose and your motivation in your job. So when my first job at the age of 14 was working in a retail store, I did good in my retail little store job. I did good in two things. Cashier, I like, I, I like keeping things in order, systems, counting backs. Being a cashier, smiling face, all this stuff. But then what I really excelled at was helping customers. I had no big vision or style. I mean, it looks nice, it looks nice. I couldn't put it together to, for you. I just know what I like when I see it. But I was good at helping them. If they wanted me to go get something, I go get it. If they wanted me to help them with something, I help them. If they wanted to know the truth about something, I took some time, but I found a way to tell them the truth. <laughs> but I loved helping them. There, I'm a lifeguard. I love teaching these kids to swim. I love coaching these kids in, on swim teams. I love teaching adults to swim. I even enjoyed, didn't want them to be drowning, but I enjoyed saving them. So whatever I did, whether I was working in the, if, as an office manager in a physical therapy clinic, whether I was a counselor at an adolescence abuse adolescent clinic, whether I was an x-ray records keeper, and I was always helping people. If you locked me up in the office, I was going to bust out. Because it just wasn't my personality. It wasn't my vent. It wasn't my motivational gift. I had to be intrinsically involved in helping people. So the job didn't matter. But my motivation, because my motivational gift always showed up. Okay? Number three, God expects you to operate and utilize these gifts. God expects you to operate and utilize these gifts. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. It's, you know, we have, you know, believers know that scripture very well, and they'll just say the first part of it. Yeah, you know, sister, all things work together for the good. Yeah, brother, all things work together for the good. Don't worry about this, because God makes sure all things work together for the good. And God is able to do things for our good, but the part B of that is just as important to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. A lot of times we get messed because we're not operating and functioning in his purpose for our lives. And so, you know, when we're operating in his purpose, he'll turn whatever situation happens to, and use it as puzzle pieces to build you in his purpose for your life. No matter how strenuous it may be, I'm like Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah had to, he, he, he had to uh, pronounce the prophecy. He, he was put on the earth to deliver the prophecy. He was ordained in that time and ordered during that season to l- deliver this prophecy to the king. And he said, no matter how much you try to shut me up, it's like fire in my bones. It got to come out. And when you are walking in your purpose, no matter what you're doing, it's, gotta, it's going to show up. And God expects for it to show up, and he expects you to, for you to function in it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be, fulfill, be, be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful, there we go again, in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience 
patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of an inheritance of the saints in life. When God, when we stand before that throne and we all want to hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. It is not just your walk of faith that he wants to say well done to. He needs to say well done to whether you fulfilled his purpose for your life on the earth. Did you make noise while you were there? Did you create an impact while you were there? How many people know my name because you were there? How many people felt the power of my touch through your hands? How many people heard the words of encouragement through your lips? That's what he's looking for. That's what he's aiming for. Now, there are priorities that go along with this thing called walking in purpose, connecting to purpose. Because a lot of times when, you know, we've been around now in ministry for 19 years, so we're no novice to this. But a lot of times people connect walking in their purpose to a certain income level, a certain acquiring of position, a certain career path. And it's not necessarily always so. Your purpose, just like I said, is made to impact. You can impact as a maintenance worker in a school. You can impact as a cashier at Walmart. You can impact as the CFO of a Fortune 500 organization. And you can impact as a mama at home. The point is, your level of impact is specifically connected to your awareness and the intentional pursuit of your purpose. So, when we have our priorities straight, the purpose becomes clear. Because we're not motivated by titles, we're not motivated by prestige, we're not motivated by fame, we're not motivated by fortune, we're not even motivated by power. We are motivated by fulfillment and God. So, priorities, number one, Seek God first. Number one, seek God first. Luke chapter 16, verse 11. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one, love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Linked Up Church has the fortunate, we have the very fortunate, the very blessed uh, distinction of having, comprising of a population, a congregation of all kinds of different backgrounds. We do not have this one clump of one income level, this one clump of one social status, this one clump of one background. We just have all kinds of people. We have those that need a little bit more help than others. We have millionaires in our congregation. We have high achievers in our congregation. We have people that are still working on their GED. And I love it. But but what I want to emphasize to you is that God wants us to prosper. God wants us to be content. He wants us to be comfortable. He wants us to be in a position where we are very, very well with our lifestyle. But when money becomes our motive, things get skewed. And we abandon our calling in the pursuit of the almighty dollar. Uh. 
money, 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 money. Y'all, did I just date myself? But when we uh, make that our pursuit, when we make this income bracket our pursuit, when we make being the first millionaire in my family our pursuit, that's our goal that in and of itself dictates now that by whatever means necessary, that's my goal. Let me give you a real life example in my life. I'm going to give you real numbers, not to be braggadocious or nothing like that. I'm just giving you real numbers so you could appreciate the scope of what I'm speaking of. You all know that I was a business owner um, some moons ago. And um, after my husband and I got married, I asked God, what do I do? God said, I just saw your socks. Um, <laughs> he has on these big old red and gray, red Ohio State socks. But anyway... Got me all out the spirit for a second. Got me all out the spirit. But anyway, <laughs> um, bring it back, girl. Bring it back. All right. So anyway, so get into real estate. Do well. My first six months in real estate, I made like $30,000 in my first six months trying to figure it out. Made some mistakes, was cheated, was lied to, was deceived, was manipulated. But still, in that little six months that I'm learning the system, I made about $30,000. I'm like, ooh, Yeah. I get invited to this exclusive little club for high achievers, and I get put on this little track, and oh, yeah. Not because I knew sales. I know jack about sales. I do not like feeling like I'm making somebody do what they don't want to do. But like I said, I love serving people. So I would have classes on home ownership, classes on financing. I found credit counselors that would help. And so I was really into serving these people. Three, four years down the line, now business is taking off. I started to I open up my own business, and I'm doing that. And God is prospering that. I never put out one stitch of marketing material. I never owned one website. I never lit, sent out one email that said, hey, refer me this at one time. And what God did in that first four years is he grew me up and I, and I developed this sense of service, this developed this sense of uh, caring for the people, and my reputation got beyond me. And it wasn't me. It was all God. Where HUD was putting my stuff up on their website and, 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 and different organizations that I helped with relocations put me there as their preferred agent and, and other organizations and big companies started putting me financiers and so the, the referral base was coming so much so that by year four all the way up to the end of my time there I'm making anywhere I was wrong in my numbers anywhere from 180 to $350,000 a year working 20 maybe 30 hours a week Give me a real number so you can appreciate what I'm talking about now. Then we get the call to go and move to Atlanta. I'm slaying them down there in Detroit. <laughs> I mean, I'm making two, three times more. You know, you understand what I'm saying? But money was not my motive. I knew what my calling was in the midst of already having identified my motivational gifts and my personality. I knew what my calling was even in my purpose. So I left that, all of that there to relocate and some time later making a tenth of what that was. 
But nevertheless, God prospered us. God secured us. I am more fulfilled today than I was in my best days there. And I enjoy doing that. Because when I see you testifying about winning, when I see you sharing your stories about victory and overcoming, when I see you walking in your deliverance, baby, that puts, crown, that puts jewels on my crown that no man can touch. So understand that you cannot be motivated by money. Second priority, trust God first. You cannot trust in what somebody promised you. You cannot trust in the growth in, in this here corporate ladder tracking system. You cannot trust in the promises of the politician. You cannot trust, put all your trust in anything outside of God. Psalms chapter 62, verse 10, it says, Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Let me break that down to you in the Hebrew. He says, trust not in oppression. That word oppression means getting up the ladder fast. By any means necessary, forcible climbs and acquisitions. And he says here, and become not vain in robbery. That term vain in robbery means don't seize every convenient opportunity. Every convenient opportunity is not yours to have. Said, but in some cases, riches would increase, but don't set your heart there. Don't set your heart there. So when we aim for anything outside of, when we put our trust in anything outside of God, you have to know that what you've done is you put something else on the throne. Wives, you can easily put your husband on a throne that does not belong to him. Men, you could put your job on the throne that it does not belong to that job. You could put your bank balances on the throne that does not belong there. We can put our kids on the throne and it don't belong there. Amen. When you're walking in purpose, you trust God first. Making that kind of money, you get used to a certain way of living. But when you are walking in purpose, it's like clothes. It falls off. And you just pick up a new set. When, you walk, when you're walking in purpose, you understand that though we like new, and most people don't like, but look, most people don't like change, we have to embrace the change that comes with the new. Because the purpose remains the same. Priority number three, please God first. So priority number one, seek God first. Priority number two, trust God first. Number three, please God first. In Mark chapter 10, there's a story that we've heard before. Most, many of us have heard before. If you haven't and, and, and you're new to the word of God and things of God, I encourage you to go read Mark chapter 10. But basically a synopsis would be that there's this rich young ruler and he approaches Jesus and he hears about the great things that Jesus is doing in the community throughout the land. And he says, Jesus, what can I do to be your disciple? And Jesus says, son. No, he didn't. He says, that's easy. You want to be my disciple? Go sell all that you have. Give to the poor. Come follow with me. Let's roll. And it says there that the rich young ruler walked away very sad 
for he had many possessions. And so understanding that he's the one who came up to Jesus. He's the one that would ask him, how can I be down with you? Jesus told him, but the possessions possessed him. And Jesus' response was, I think it's 10, what is it, 23, 24? I don't know if you're walking away from my notes, but I think it's Mark 10, 24. Mark 10, 24. And it says here that, it goes on to say that Jesus says, it is hard for a rich man to enter to the kingdom of God. Hard like it's easier for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter to the kingdom of God. And then their response was, doggone Jesus, who can be saved? Well, let me break that down to you because for a long time I was like, Jesus, what you saying there? What's, what you mean? And it wasn't until we went to Israel and we learned some of the colloquials and the sayings that go on in Israel. And so, you know how here we'll say, this might be old, but we'll, we'll make a statement like, you tripping. Now, we don't mean you, you know, tripping. We mean that you, you, you acting out of character. But if you take it back a little bit, you was high on heroin and you were tripping. You were out of your mind. <laughs> All right, Dad. <laughs> he over there. Yeah, he, he started to name the drug, all different drugs. But, <laughs> but so what, what, what he's saying here, though, is just another uh, saying or colloquialism that was common during that time. And it's still even common today. Because what he's saying there is not that you can't be rich and enter the kingdom of heaven. First, let me, let me define what he means by kingdom of God. He's talking away because that word kingdom there is, talk, is basilia. And he's talking about rule and reign, this place of ruling and reign. In other words, living the God kind of life. That's what he's talking about. And the belief, in, which it is today, is that you cannot be saved unless you do things and operate according to the kingdom of God, doing things God's way. And so he's saying here, unless you do things God's way, you cannot enter into this place of salvation and redemption because something else is God, not God. So what this here saying means, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Some of you have been to Arizona. Minister D'Angelo just came from Arizona. But some of you have seen on TV where there's mountains, there's mountainous terrains, much like it is in Israel. And in the mountains, there will be holes in the mountains. Have any of you seen something like that? Where there would be like these here pass-throughs through the mountain. And the, 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 the preference was that you take the higher road so that robbers and bandits wouldn't rob you down here. So when people would travel back in the day, they would load up their camels with all their possessions that they needed for this journey, and they would start leading the camel with their possessions, and they would walk through and try to take the high road. And sometimes in taking the high road, you run into, while you're in this, on this mountainous terrain, you will run at the mountain, you will know or see that there's a, a, a hole in the mountain that you had to pass through. And they called that the eye of the needle. Because it's a very small space that you have to get through in order to continue on your journey. And what Jesus is saying here is that for the rich man, he would have to, just liken unto a camel that's, leading the, that, that's being led by the rich man, the rich person would have to unload that camel on one side of that eye. And then he could pass through 
talking about doing things God's way, functioning according to God's ruling and reigning. I'm talking about seek ye first the kingdom of God. I'm talking about not coveting unrighteous mammon. He would have to unload that camel, and then he would go through that eye of the needle in the mountain. And once he got over on the other side, now, as he continues on his journey, he picks up his riches. He picks up his possessions. You get what I'm saying? So God's not against anybody being prosperous. In fact, he loves it. You name me one prophet that wasn't doing well. You show me one man of God in the Bible that didn't do well. Even Jesus had a suit that had no seams. So he has nothing wrong with us prospering. But when our efforts to prosper outweigh God, that's when he has a problem. So trusting, seeking God, uh, trusting God first, this la- pleasing God first, this last priority here, whatever you do, when he says do it unto the Lord, it's just it. You want to do whatever you're doing as unto him where it's pleasing to him. And all you do in that is make room for your own perfection, your own purpose to become loud in the earth where other people, whether they are envious of it or whether they want to get on your team and ride it out with you, recognize that this is someone who's not only here with purpose, but they're here on purpose. And don't be surprised and don't be upset when people seem to tag along and seem to be wait. Now, you have to be discerning to know when to shed the weight, but sometimes that weight is because they need you in their life for that season. Amen? Did y'all get something out of all that? Now, Father God, I pray right now for these, your babies, your sons and your daughters, that we all come into a greater revelation of your specific design and purpose for our lives. May we walk in the purpose and the calling and the area in which you've placed us in the earth. And because of that, Father, show yourself strong on our behalf as we are impactful to our environment and all those that encounter us. Father, I thank you that no gift, no personality, no, no, no design, no destiny is too great or too small. But we're all here fit for your use, Father, vessels of honor. We give you glory, honor, and praise for our peace and our fulfillment in walking in that purpose whereby we are glorifying you in every word and in every deed. In Jesus' name, amen and so be it. Amen and so be it. So while everyone is in an attitude of prayer, you know, the greatest example that we have of purpose is Jesus Christ. His timing, his timing was purposeful. His birth was purposeful. His growth was purposeful. His teachings were purposeful. His death was purposeful. His burial was purposeful. His resurrection was purposeful. His ascension was purposeful. And his appearing before thousands and thousands of men and women was purposeful. God came in the form of Jesus Christ, on purpose for you. He had your name in his palm as they drove those nails through it. He had your face on his mind when they crushed that crown of thorns on his head. 
He had your destiny in tow when they nailed his feet to the cross. He had your healing and your health on his shoulders as they whipped his back. He came on purpose so that you can walk in yours. So if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I don't want to call you down. I don't want to stand you up. I just want you to raise your hand so that I can pray with you because there's nothing more important, no greater purpose to be fulfilled than to know that you are in the body of Christ, to know that you are his beloved, to know that you have received him as a son of God, as Savior, and as Lord. So while every head is bowed and while every eye is closed, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, would you just slip your hand in the air so that I know I'm praying with and for you? If that's you, would you lift your hand in the air so that I know I'm praying with and for you? Jesus had a purpose for you, and his purpose was that you prosper and be victorious in life. And if you have not knowingly confessed him as your Lord and Savior, I want to do just that with you on this morning. Is there anyone here who has not received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? but we have to assess our lives and realize and admit to where we are. And understand that total surrender is what it takes because we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the solutions and we cannot plan our lives to fashion his desire.